It is a blessing in the world in which we live in, and not just in the world we live in, but at any point in time that we have a, we have a sure guide, right? I mean, the foundations shake. You heard last week about, about Psalm 2, about the heathen's rage and the, and the king's counsel and make war, but, but we already know who, who's won the war. They, they might win a victory every now and then, but we, we know who wins in the end. And God has given us His precious Word to guide and uh, show us who He is, who we are, and what we need to do about our, our predicament. And that predicament is that we are sinners and that we are separated from God. But Jesus is a friend of sinners. Amen. What a truth that is. And no matter what you've done or where you've been, Jesus can find you and reach you and take you out of that miry clay and set your feet upon a rock. And once He lays hold of you, once you repent and believe the gospel, your destination is secure. It's fixed. Because God does not repent of, of His work. And we praise Him for that. So I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 6. We are on number 3 of this list of exercises that we're looking at as a, uh, as a church. And we're going to finish this up, um, this message and, and one more, and then we're going to kick off a, uh, the, the, the new year. We call it the new year because kids are back in school, students are back, and it just feels like a, uh, like a, a new year. But we, we have uh, two messages left in Galatians chapter 6, and we're, 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 we're paying attention to them because there are four activities outlined here, uh, that every single church member needs to be doing and every single church needs to have happening within its midst if it hopes to grow or to be healthy. What I find very fascinating about Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, is it follows chapter 5, and the end of chapter 5 is about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And in Galatians 6, 1, he talks about you who are spiritual. He kicks off these lists of activities. So we've got these the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody who's filled with the Spirit of God will have the fruit being born in their life. And, and a lot of those are attitudes, you know, love and joy and peace and hope. But what are the activities that a Spirit-filled life would look like? What, what are the activities? What will a person who's filled with the Spirit of God look like? What would they look like? What would they be doing? Well, that's exactly what you find in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You'll find them bearing other people's burdens. You also find them bearing their own load. They're going to be carrying their own weight. And then you're going to find them sharing in whatever it is that God's placed in their hands. And that's what we're going to, to see today. So just, uh, Tim will put up for uh, a reminder, the four activities every biblical church member must fulfill. One is you minister to one another. That's in verses 1 and 2. You carry your own load in verses 3 and 5. Verses 6 through 8, we'll look at today. You give where you grow. And then verse 9, which is our last message, you serve by doing good to others. Do Christians do good works? You better believe they do. They don't do good works in order to get to heaven. But after their heaven is secured because of Christ, they, they do good works. That is an evidence. Jesus said you'll know them by their uh, by their fruit. So let's read beginning in verse 1 and then we'll get into the message. 
God says, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Point two. Now here is our verse for today, the third point. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to, the, to his flesh, of his flesh will reap corruption. Note the, the connection to chapter 5, the works of the flesh. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Notice the connection to the fruit of the Spirit coming next. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not grow weary in well-doing or doing good, for in due season we shall reap. That's a promise if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Here's point four. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So in verse six, he, he moves to a new topic, sharing the resources that God has placed in your, in your hands. And that is part of the Christian life lived out in the, in the local church. To share our resources for the activities of God's ministry on the earth. The Bible says these are the last days. Now, the last days, when we think of last days, we think of, you know, revelation charts and, and uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, Clarence Larkin's what I think of all the way back to, to my days, those little charts, and Ashton knows exactly who Clarence Larkin is. And the last days we think of, okay, well, these are just the very last few moments before Jesus returns. But the last days actually in Scripture, encompasses from the ascension of Christ until Jesus' return for the church, the rapture. Between those two, those are the, the last days. It means nothing else needs to be done in God's redemptive plan other than Christ to return for His bride and then the second coming, the culmination of, of all things. These are the last days. These are not the days prior to God raising up a people unto Himself with Israel. These are not the days of, of God living in the midst of His people when Israel was a nation. These are not the days when John the Baptist paved the way for Christ coming in the spirit of Elijah. These are not the days of Jesus when He walked on the earth. These are the last days. These are the days before God will bring all things to, to, to a close. And in these last days, God has a program. He has a plan. And that plan is not through the nation of Israel, although He has plans for them. God hasn't forsaken His people. God's plan right now is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church. The bride of Christ. The, we are the called out ones. We are the ones that live here in the midst of this world. Jesus said in His high priestly prayer, I don't pray that you'll be taken out of the world because that's the whole reason I came into the world, to leave you here. But I'll pray that in the midst of the world, you won't be overtaken by the world. Obviously, that's a paraphrase. Jesus could have automatically taken us to heaven with Him, but He didn't. He left us here as the church to proclaim the gospel and do the works of Christ until He 
returns. And He does that through His people. And He has placed resources, whether that be talents, whether that be your abilities, whether that be your time, whether that be the resources. He's placed things in your hands as an individual to be able to be used in those last days in His program, the church, so that the, the gathering of the saints could, could come, so the gospel could be preached to every single creature on the planet. Now, I think it would be hard to find anyone who, who wouldn't automatically think giving is, is a normal part of the, of the Christian life. There's good examples of that. Ashton uh, loves to read, and I just thought about him finishing up George Mueller. He's got another book right there in his hand, uh, To the Golden Shore. I mean, you've got good examples of giving and people depending upon the Lord. You know, George Mueller prayed directly to the Lord. He never appealed for a single penny. He appealed to heaven and God provided. You could also find some really bad examples. Just turn on Direct TV and go to uh, number 300 and something in there and you'll find the, the wood, hay, and stubble channels, right? You'll find the health, wealth, preachers that are there that are fleecing the poor, preaching a false gospel, and they're all about money. And that's nothing new. Jesus said that that will be one of the marks of false teachers, is that they will be immoral and they will be lovers of, of money. I would say, beyond just finding good and bad examples of Christians, I think you can also find examples of uh, that, that, it's, that, it's, that it's normal to share it's a good thing. It's something that God has placed within us. Even though we're depraved and fallen, there's still something that makes you feel good to meet someone else's need, right? Even unbelievers do that. If you turn on the TV, you'll, you'll find all kinds of appeals. You'll be sitting there watching, you know, the, the Green Bay Packers trounce someone, which they normally do, and you'll be watching, and all of a sudden a little puppy dog comes up, right? And, you know, and, and its eyes are all matted together, and please give to the humanitarian, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, a dollar a month will feed little doggy here. You can find all kinds of examples. You can read in the paper. You'll hear all, all, times, all kinds of times where people leave millions to secular institutions or foundations for other humanitarian purposes. I found a, an example of Henry Ford. Henry Ford was once asked to donate money for the construction of a new medical facility. And the billionaire pledged $5,000. And the next day, the newspaper headline read, Henry Ford contributes $50,000 to a local hospital. The irate Henry Ford was on the phone immediately to complain to the fundraiser that he had been misunderstood. Well, maybe he had, maybe he hadn't. The fundraiser replied that he was very sorry and he would print a retraction in the paper the following day to read, Henry Ford reduces his donation by $45,000. Realizing the poor publicity that that would result, the industrialists agreed to the $50,000 contribution in return for the following, that above the entrance to the hospital would be carved the biblical inscription, I came among you and you took me in. Now, who's the smart one in that? Well, the hospital got the $50,000, but Henry Ford got the last word. Surely, you can find good examples and bad examples. You know the difference, though, between 
Christian sharing and giving and fundraising for a hospital is that a believer doesn't give because they want to look good in a blurb in the paper. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to give where no one really even knows about it if that is possible. We give because we grasp what's been given for us, right? I mean, our hearts, it's natural for a human being to want to meet needs and share and help others. But it's much more than that for us. We give because we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has been given for us and He has been forgiven much, loved much. And not only that, Christian giving goes beyond the grave. It affects eternity. That hospital that, that Henry Ford gave the $50,000 to is going to help people while they're here, but, but one day that hospital is going to be in, in ruins. You actually get the privilege to affect eternity with your resources. And when a believer gives and gives to the Lord's work, they're literally sharing in the fruit of eternity. I shared this with you before, but, but it, was, it was one of those things that just gripped my heart. I shared with you about Theda Lewis, this lady who's been instrumental in, in leading me to Christ. And, and, and even though she's dead, all of the things that that God accomplishes through me, all the, God, all the things that God accomplishes through the individuals that were one to the Lord under the preaching of the gospel, through me as a vessel, all of those things are still racking up for Theta's credit unto the Lord, even though she's already dead. It's, a, it's the idea of compounding interest. And I'll just say to some of you, some of you have, have helped individuals, some of you have helped I know you've helped some of the seminary students. You've paid for their tuition or their books, and you've helped missionaries. And, and, and every single one of the works that they ever do is going to be accounted to you in some way in glory. It's, it is the ultimate paying forward, as they, as they say. You can make a difference in eternity by simply obeying God, and that's exciting. Luther said, about this concept, I've tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all. But what I've given into God's hands, I still possess. And that's absolutely true. So, this one verse, look at verse 6. There's four principles that I'm going to draw out of here for you for sharing your resources as a Christian. Verse 6 says, Let him who is taught the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, verse 7 and on, we usually attribute to sin, and it absolutely applies there. But it's actually connected to to money. It's actually connected to verse 6. The context of sowing and reaping has to do with verse 6, this command. And so the first principle I think you can take out of verse 6 is giving is a responsibility of every believer in, in the body. Giving is a responsibility. Sharing, if you want a new word, is a responsibility of everyone in the body. Verse 6, let him who is taught the word share. Now, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter what resources you possess. Sharing in the form of giving is a normal and common part of the Christian life. I've heard stories on, on the mission field. Whenever a, a missionary will go in and proclaim the gospel for the first time, and believers 
come to Christ and it moves beyond a cell group, it moves, moves beyond a house group, they begin to have enough to gather in a church where the preaching of the gospel and they are dirt poor, as they say in, in West Virginia. Um, and I think Hillary Clinton said something about that too, but that's a whole other issue. Dirt poor, they have no money, they have no resources, but they're still taught to even bring eggs or oranges or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter the number of resources you have. This is a normal part of Christian life. And he says, let the one who is taught share. It's an imperative. It's a command. The one who receives careful instruction, the one who is taught the Word, the one who receives the teaching ministry of the church is to share good things. Good things is a phrase for material resources, material goods. I can remember the first time that I ever gave anything as a Christian. Now, those of you who don't know my testimony, I was saved at 24, so I lived a lot of years without Jesus. And I can remember within the first few months, I can remember it plain as day, I was sitting in my driveway at Red House, or at uh, Winfield, um, when I was going to Red House Church, and I was in my black, Z71 pickup truck that had a bullet hole in the in the ceiling. And that's a whole other story that I won't go into right now. Tracy could probably give you more details about that. I've been saved a month or so, and I was sitting in the driveway, and and I had this thought before I was getting ready to leave. I wonder if I got lunch money. You know, I'm not. I carry just a little bit of money now. Some of you walk around like my dad that looks like a cattle salesman. You pull a wallet out and there's a, you know, a, a stack of cash in there. Well, things have changed. You have credit cards now, but I never carried a whole lot of, of cash. So do I have money for lunch that day? I opened it up and I looked in my wallet and I had a $20 bill. And I just had this thought whenever I looked at the $20 bill, I ought to give that to the Lord. I'd never given anything before in my entire life. And this is like Monday, Tuesday, somewhere. It's obviously not Sunday because I'm going to work. I mean, I, I might have, have given a few dollars to a local high school fundraiser, and that was only whenever they caught me out in the yard. You know, I, if you see them coming, you, you go inside and you pull the blind. Now, don't you judge me because you do the same thing. But sometimes they catch you out in the yard, right? You're out there mowing grass, and here they come, you know. And, and they're, you know, they always send the cute ones around, and they want to... And so you give them the 20 bucks for the card to get, you know, an extra Subway sandwich that you never use. And that's why Subway does what they do and whoever else is on there. But I can remember I had this inner desire, this compulsion to give that $20 to the Lord. But it also meant that I didn't have lunch money that day. And so the next Sunday that I did, and I can remember just this feeling. You, you probably experienced the feeling. I mean, it was just like a, it was just like a kid. I mean, I was, I watched the plate come in the first row, and then the second row, and then the third row, and the closer it got to me, the, the, the more excited I got. I mean, I was obeying the Lord, and I really felt like I was obeying the Lord, and it was joyful, and it was, it was truly worshipful. And I don't know what comes to your mind whenever you, whenever you think about sharing. Surely you want to help. Needs, but God wants us to be childlike. He wants us to wants, wants it to be an act of worship. And whenever it is an act of worship, there's nothing more more joyous. There's nothing more perplexing to the unbelieving world, but there's nothing more pleasing to God. On the flip side, 
when whether you share and how you share reveals your heart like nothing else. Um, that's why the Lord speaks about it so so frequently. Listen to these statistics. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses has to do with money. Do you know that? In the Gospels, one out of every six verses has to do with money. Out of the 29 parables that Jesus gave, 16 deal with a person as in, and his money. That is amazing. Why? Because God knows how to put his finger on our heart or our pocketbooks in this case, which is a lot of times connected to our hearts. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones told a story about a farmer who went into the house one day to tell his wife and family some good news. The cow just gave birth to twin calves, one red one and one white one, he said. And he continued, and we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. And we will bring them up together. And when the time comes, we'll sell one, keep the proceeds, we'll sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. And his wife said, wonderful, that's great. And she asked him, which one are we going to dedicate to the Lord? And, and he said, there's no need to bother about that right now. We'll treat them both in the same way. And when the time comes, then we'll do as I say. Well, a few days went by and the farmer entered the kitchen again, looking very unhappy this time. What happened, his wife said. He said, I have bad news. The Lord's calf is dead. Releasing things that are in our hands, once we have them, can be much harder than the promises we make before we get them, right? Which is harder? To live in the midst of poverty where you have nothing. Some of you have been brought up that, that way. Or is it hard in a different way to have things in your hands and then once you have a hold of them, release the grip that's there? I would say... There are spiritual challenges to both. If you have nothing, you have to depend on God for everything. If you have everything, you're tempted not to depend upon God for anything, right? And that's the challenge that is, is there. It's truly sad when we don't enjoy the Lord's work. And it's God's grace to realize what is of greater value. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It says, Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all of the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward that is heaven. Well, what better example could you have than Moses, who had all of the riches of, of Egypt and Pharaoh, and yet he, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all of the treasures in Egypt. And God says, giving is a Christian activity done by those who receive the great treasure from the church, which is the Word of God. Look at verse 6. Let him who is taught the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, the normal word for, for teaching is, is didaskalos, but this is a word where we it's different. So we get the word to catechize. Have you ever heard of a catechism? It's where you, you, you systematically teach a child, typically. You, you ask a question. What is the, the chief end of man? It's to 
glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So you have a question and a response. It's, it just simply means to, to systematically teach specific truths. That's the word. It's not the normal word for, for teaching here. It's systematic, careful instruction. The person who receives the ongoing teaching of the church is the one who communicates or shares his material possessions with his own church. You're actually giving to yourself in this process. Which leads us to the next principle. Giving is done where you are a member. Giving is the responsibility of everyone, every Christian. And giving is done where you are a member. That is found in that word catechism. With Share with him who teaches. You give where you systematically receive the, the word of God. That giving there is, is primary. He echoes this in verse 10. Look down in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. But let us do good especially to those who are of the household of faith. You're to do good to all. You're to be generous. We are to be caring of all peoples. But we're to especially do that to those who are of the household of faith. You're to give wherever the Lord leads you to give. But you are to primarily give where you receive the systematic teaching of the Word that God has ordained in the church. Now, you notice something probably in verse 6. Let him who is taught the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, that doesn't mean that you slip me a 20 after a helpful sermon. The point is the pulpit is connected to the church. They're teachers, and teachers teach systematically. He teaches God's people, and there is the connection. I've joked before that, that I could solve all of, the, all of the, the, the shortfalls of Christian missions in any ministry the church ever wanted to do. And here's exactly how it would work. Place one of those credit card sliders in the back of the pews and have the preacher stop halfway through the sermon and announce, announcement come on, please deposit $25 if you want this sermon to continue or $50 if you don't. And the church would have more money than it could use. Paul's point, though, is normal giving is how the church provides for the teaching that comes. The Bible says, God has ordained that a man who preaches the gospel lives by it, and he's ordained that the ministries of the church are supported by the people that benefit from those ministries. I can remember, this is a lesson that the Lord had to teach me, I remember the first time that I was ever given an honorarium for teaching. And it wasn't an official honorarium. It was actually from a lady named Arlene. Tracy remembers Arlene. Arlene was this sweet saint that whenever we would do praise notes, she would rise very slowly. And then you knew ten minutes later, Arlene would still be sharing a praise note. And for some, people would have their hearts go, oh no, Arlene's standing up again. But if you listen to what she said, she was a widow that genuinely loved Jesus. And she was lonely, so that was her opportunity to talk and share with other people. But there was substance behind what she said. And it was Arlene that the Lord used to teach me this lesson. And she's in heaven now. And she came up right before... We were getting ready to, to go off to, uh, to seminary, and, and she gave me $20. And frankly, it was a foreign concept to me. Um, I was still working for Anthem, didn't need money. 
And beyond that, Arlene was far worse off than I was, and so I, I really struggled. I mean, she was on Social Security. She had a meager existence. And so I pro- politely refused. And she went from a mild-mannered grandmother to a lightning bolt shooting out. I mean, it was... You talk about Moses' countenance changing from on the mountain. I mean, Arlene went for... I've never seen her that way. And she said, it's not yours to decide... Brother Farrell, the Lord told me to give this to you, and I'm obeying him. And, you know, then she said the common phrase, don't you steal my blessing. And, of course, I said, yes, ma'am. It was a lesson that I had to learn because, frankly, I was proud and self-sufficient. I didn't know I was proud and self-sufficient, but I always had plenty of resources. Small church, 150, 200 people. The Lord had set me up to be the primary giver there. I never flaunted that. Didn't have any need. And frankly, liked it that way. And that was what God was putting His finger on in in my heart. I wouldn't be beholding to anyone. And the problem was that included the Lord. And what I didn't see was behind Arlene was God. And it was the Lord who was going to have to take care of me and my family whenever I left and become Barney Fife at a $6 an hour security shift job. And I needed to learn to depend upon him and not myself. And he was teaching me that lesson and still is. And Arlene was fulfilling this, this point. You may give as a steward anywhere the Lord leads you to give, but the primary place we're to give as believers is where the systematic teaching of God's people happens. It's in the church, which leads us to point number three. Giving supports the main ministry of the church. It's a responsibility for all. It's done where you are a member or a tender, and it supports the main ministry. So, if you take the principle of number number three, you know where you're to give priority or primarily. But then the next question that comes to my mind is, you know, is, is how much? Now, frankly... We all know that the question we ought to be asking is, is not how much do I have to give, but how much, you know, how much can I, can I keep in order to live on for the gospel to go forth. But I'm like you, like anyone else, and the Lord is teaching me like He's teaching you. But the, still the question comes up, does the Bible have anything to say about how much you, you give? Well, the word proportional comes to us in the New Testament. You understand the New Testament is laid on the foundation of the Old Testament. What we know about Jesus would not be known without all of the foundation in the Old Testament. We're preaching a foundation series and message about Genesis lays the foundation and and the promise of, of the prophets of Christ in the Old Testament and Israel lay the foundation for what's in the in the, in the New Testament. And so the New Testament builds on the foundation of the, uh, of the old. And we won't turn there, but I would encourage you to write down 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is like the New Testament commentary on giving. Okay? Now, you can pull principles from a number of different places, but 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Just like 1 Corinthians 7 is a commentary on divorce, remarriage, marriage, and all of those things. You can find all kinds of principles taught in the Old Testament and in the Gospels and otherwise, but 1 Corinthians 7 is like the specific questions that are being asked. 
Is it good for a man not to touch a woman? It's better to marry than to burn. And, and what do you do with virgin daughters? And yada, yada. Well, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is like the New Testament commentary on giving. You go to the Old Testament, you can find tithes and offerings, and you can find the system that was in Israel. New Testament teaching is laid on the foundation of the Old, and what you find in the New Testament is proportional giving. In fact, if you go back to the foundation, from the very beginning, sharing, God placing resources in the hands of His people, and then them sharing those resources, is how God has taught human beings to trust and fear Him, and how He's chosen to provide for His earthly work. The very first offering recorded in the Bible was Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, you might just say Abel, because Cain really didn't offer an offering unto the Lord, and you know how that ended, right? All the way back to Genesis 4. I find that fascinating. Because the first thing that you find, how bad did the fall affect us? You find two brothers, and it ends in murder. You also find a good example there. You find Abel trusting the Lord and obeying the Lord. And and the very first example of sin is hatred leading to murder. And the very first example of a believer honoring the Lord and obeying the Lord is, is giving. You can go on and find Abraham and Jacob giving an offering to the Lord. You can find a very detailed system, systematic tithe in the, in the life of, of Israel. Now, when you think of the word tithe, you think of 10%. You may think of other things. But in the Old Testament, there's actually a, a fairly complicated system. And I don't have time to go into it all. But there were actually two tithes that happened every year and one tithe that happened every third year. There was a tithe to the Levitical priesthood that provided for the priests that had no inheritance in the promised land. There was a festival tithe, which is what God used to care for the feasts that went on in, in the, the, the temple and in others. It was how, they, how they, they did all of the feasts that God's people would gather together, the big events in Jerusalem, the holy days. And then the third, there was another 10% on top of uh, of that every third year for, for, the poor, for the poor. When you add all that together, it's somewhere between 20 and 25%. Three tithes, the Levitical tithes, the festival tithe, and the poor tithe. And it was on all that a person produced while living in God's land. That's the foundation. And then built on top of that is the idea of, of sharing proportionally. This simply means you share based upon what God has placed in your hands. The New Testament doesn't give a specific amount that you must give, because that's not the way God works. God says give as a cheerful giver, as a joyful giver. Now, I would say to you, as you've heard before, if you give less or try to find ways to give less, as someone who's living in the last days after you have seen the risen Christ, if you, do, if you give less there than you did whenever they were under the law looking to Christ, there's probably an issue going on. But it's proportional. And finally, let me give you point number four. It's found in this word, sharing. It's giving is likened to spiritual fellowship. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who, who teaches. You're to communicate, as the King James says. It's the word 
where we get koinonia. Community. You're to communicate. And it's the idea of fellowship. It's close to the word fellowship. It means that you have fellowship with something, to be shared, to be made a partner. Literally, to make another person's necessities your own and share in the both the burden and the and the fruit. Paul, by using that word, is saying those who are instructed in the church are to give where they're primarily instructed, and that giving is a way in which you partner, you fellowship with those activities, even though you don't do them physically. Now, you didn't prepare this message, but I did. And you shared in that preparation even though you didn't because I'm standing before you living by the gospel. There was a roof put on a house with several timber lakers. Some of you didn't climb upon that roof and do it, but some of the resources that went to put that roof on in the Bruffy home came from the coffers of this church. So you shared in that. You sent Christian off last week. And while you're not in China studying Chinese language, you share in that. And I could go on and on and on. And this word is a beautiful word. It's amazing. Sharing our resources, we get the credit for the work that the church does. Every salvation, every child taught, every marriage saved, every believer grown, every missionary taught and sent. And Paul says, when that happens, in the act of giving, fellowship comes. Spiritual things for perishable things. I'll close with this story by Wycliffe Bible Translators. Wycliffe Bible Translators told of a story about Sadie Seeker who served for many years as a house parent for missionary children in the Philippines. And she loved books. Um, She gladly loaned out some and others she treasured in a footlocker under her bed. She was very free with her books except for the ones that she treasured, and she placed those in a footlocker under, under her bed. And once, while she was laying there in the quiet of the night, she, she heard this faint gnawing sound. You probably know where this is going. And after searching all around the room, she discovered the noise was coming from her footlocker. And she opened it, and she found nothing but an enormous pile of dust. All of the books that she kept to herself had been lost to termites. And they'd been devouring them the whole time. And every time she would put a new book in there, all she did was feed the termite colony. And Wycliffe said, What we give away, we keep. And what we hoard, we lose. And you know Jesus said the very same thing about your life. Jesus said in Mark 8:35, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. And some of you may be here this morning and you don't relate to anything that I'm saying because you're not a believer. And Jesus' words would apply to you. You seek to keep your life. You seek to rule your life. You seek to guide your life in whatever way. You seek to make Jesus the mustard and the ketchup rather than the hot dog. 
He becomes something on the side of your life rather than your life. To live as Christ and die as gain. You see salvation in the gospel about something that you do or you do on Sunday or you add to your life and you're trying to save your life yourself and Jesus says you will lose it that way. But if you lose your life now, if you give your life to Christ, what is your life? I can tell you what mine is. Sin, failure, always coming up short. You give that life to Jesus. Jesus says you do that for Him and for His sake, you'll save it because Jesus will redeem it. Now, that's a pretty good deal if you ask me. I give God my junk, all that I am, broken, and He makes me His treasure by His grace, cleanses me with His blood, casts my sin as far as east is from west, never to be remembered again, and He'll do the same thing for you. But you come and die. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know it and I have no hope in heaven other than You and I lay myself before You. I have nothing to offer You, but I, by faith, receive what You have already done. And Jesus will give you spiritual life, new life, dead in trespasses and sins, and He's quickened you. He's made you alive in Christ Jesus. And just like Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, He'll do the same for you. Let me pray.